0: Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca. We hope you enjoy today's message. I've uh, I've joked about that for years, actually, the whole big butts of the Bible. I said I was going to write a book about that. And it was actually James Dow last week as I was leaving. He was We were talking about what was next. He said, you should do a series Big Butts of the Bible. And I went away and I thought, I think James was, that was the voice of God. I just, I thought, I think that's what it is. And so uh, began working on it this week and I'm actually really pumped about it um, because he, here's the reality of the Bible. There are a lot of places in the Bible that deal with um, our perceptions versus God's perception, right? So there's things, there's places in the Bible where it's, you know, people, we think this way, we believe this way, but God says this. And so that's what this series is about. It's about how God intersects us, and through his word, he challenges us. And he says, this is what you might think the truth is, but the truth is this. So we're going to look at that over the next few weeks, actually, because there's a lot of buts in the Bible, right? There are. A lot of big ones. So we're going to look at some of the big buts of the Bible. And um, this today I want to start off with... Uh, one that obviously in my life has been really big that I've had personal experience with dealing with, which is um, anxiety. We're going to look today at not anxiety, but peace. And We're going to examine that in the scripture. Here's the cool part of this. So as I mentioned... Uh, you know, early in the week, got the sense that this would be the good series to go into. And then God just highlighted it all week to me. I just love it when a plan comes together. Because this passage we're going to look at today, I, I, that, that was where I wanted to start. And so Val and I were, early in the week, we were at the um, Saskatchewan Manitoba LifeLinks Pastors Retreat. And again, for those that might be visiting, we're part of a network called LifeLinks International. And it's throughout the north, uh, northwest United States, Western Canada. We have some churches in Britain. We have some churches overseas in Uganda and Vietnam and so forth, India. And uh, anyway, there's a group of pastors that meet every year, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. So Val and I go to that. I'm, I'm part of the leadership of our network. And so I, we, we go to that every year for many years now. And so when we went there, there's a man named, and I'm going to shout out to him right here in the message, Jason Claussen. He's the pastor of Open Door Fellowship in Morris, Manitoba. Hopefully you'll get to meet him sometime. He is dynamic. He's an amazing young man. And he preached a message there on the passage that I was looking at preaching on. And so if you're a preacher, you know this is like God because you're like, I just got a bunch of material, right? Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) So that's true. I just want to give a shout out because he really provided a foundation for this message. The other cool part is I've been reading a book called Switch On Your Brain by Dr. Carolyn Leaf. Who's heard of Dr. Carolyn Leaf? Few of you have. Phenomenal, phenomenal teaching that links to brain science and the Bible. And it puts, it puts the science behind what God has said in the Bible all along. This is a believer. It's phenomenal stuff. I'm going to talk more about it here. So I've been listening to that. I actually started listening to that when I was in, in the UK coming home, an audio book, and I continued this week and, again, saw God's hand. Then the other cool part is Val and I were at a marriage retreat, focused on the family, and it's part of our professional development this year. Thank you for our, our, basically our church sent us. How many people know that if Val and I have a good marriage, things will be better for this church? Do you understand that? Right. They'll be better for me, too, and her, okay? So so we went to Focus on the Family's Careth Retreat, which is just wonderful. It's right near Calgary, so there's no travel involved. And it's a week-long thing. It was really powerful. But one of the things they dealt with very practically there was what we believe and the lies we believe. And so there's an element of that threaded in today. So all I'm saying is this is obviously on God's heart. And, and, and so I'm kind of primed up because I believe that God has truth in this message today, that if we take this, here's the good news, folks. You and I can listen to truth, listen to truth, listen to truth for years and not change. But if we apply truth intentionally in our lives, we will change. Can I just encourage you with that? That issue you're dealing with that you've dealt with for a long time, it might be anxiety, it might be something else that has not gone away, can I just encourage you with something? It is not impossible, and God will help you to break through. Often the issue is not listening and hearing truth. It's applying intentionally truth in our lives. And once we start doing that, we see change. And I want to encourage you today. If you're here and there's some nagging things in your life, a lot of the issue is really right up here in your mind. And so your thought life, my thought life, how we think affects us. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man or woman thinks in their heart. So as we think in our heart, as we truly believe about ourselves, that is how we live. So one of the things I wanted to to talk about as, as an opening analogy is something that I've been battling with, and it's called tinnitus. Now, you know what tinnitus is? It's a ringing, persistent ringing in the ears, now, I've had a little bit of it over the years, but I got to be honest, I had a bad experience in September. It's with my blessed motorcycle, which I still appreciate very much, but I had a problem. It Remember that cold snap that came that was all of a sudden it snowed and it looked like it's the middle of February and it was like September. Remember, it's called living in Calgary, right? So, so I was like, oh, I got to winterize my bike because you know it freezes up and everything and maybe I could have waited but I thought I got to do this so I w- went and there's a process I go through so I was using my bike has a fob okay so the, the newer bikes if you have the fob it, the bike recognizes it has a little battery inside and so it connects with the bike and you can turn it on and fire it up but if you don't have that fob, the bike doesn't recognize you, okay? So if you go up to try to turn it on, even if you have the key and you turn it on, it will scream at you, like loud scream, and it's a bad alarm. So what happens is sometimes the fob, the battery gets old. So the battery, I should have known it was getting worn down, and so the thing was starting to chirp at me, so I should have been aware. Of it. anyway, I went out to do this. and and tried to turn on and the thing screamed at me i thought okay the fob's not working so i went and got a battery bought one came back put the battery in went out and it still didn't work i don't even know why to this day why it didn't work the thing went off twice in the garage enclosed okay and it screams like if you've heard these alarms they are loud and i wasn't thinking right i wasn't thinking about my ears it just happened so quickly. Well, since that time, I've had this ringing in my ears that won't go away. So if you want to pray for your pastor, pray, pray that the ringing in his ears would go away because it is bugging me. But that's not why I shared that. What I shared about it is this. The interesting part of tinnitus is it actually isn't real. It's a, it's a sound in your ear that isn't actually a sound. It's your perception of the sound. So, so what happens is if you focus on it, it's really real. But if it's diverted to something else, in other words, if I have a sound like at night, we have like this water uh, sound blocker in our room, which we've used for years. Well, then I don't actually hear it. And so I sleep really well. So so it's the perception of it. It's what I focus on. What I'm saying is the problem is not actually the problem. The sound that I hear in my ears is not actually the issue. It's me hearing the sound. It's me focusing on that or Focusing on something else. Can I just say something to you? The issue in your life actually isn't really the issue. It's how you see it and how you perceive the issue in your life. It's how you sense what's going on. Let me give you another example. So, snow. When I was a kid, I loved snow, right? I remember snow angels, right? I remember looking at them as a five-year-old under a microscope at the, you know, in kindergarten going, wow, that's amazing. I remember going down a hill um, with snow as a kid. We were, we were quite poor at the time. And so I asked mom if I could use our metal tray and put a string on it. She said, yes. Metal on snow goes very fast. I actually had a really cool time with my tray. So much so that the guys with the really professional sleighs asked if they could use my tray. Seriously. <laughs> I was very popular with my tray. But but, but but I love snow. Snow was great. Skiing, everything else. Today, not so much. I'll be honest. I don't like snow so much. I grumble more about snow. Now, is, has snow changed in the last 30, 40 years? Has it changed? No, it's still the same as it was when I was a kid. But my perception of it has changed. Right? Now it's like the biggest waste of time having to shovel this snow every day. Seriously. Grumble, 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 right? That's, and I don't think about the fun I could have anymore. I think about how inconvenient it is. What's changed? Has the snow changed? No. My perception of the snow, my thinking about how the snow impacts my life, my viewpoint of the snow has changed. What am, what am I saying? I'm saying that our story, the story we tell ourselves about our life is the narrative we create. You, you, there could be two people who have a very similar life and one can be very positive about their life and one could be highly negative. The difference is how they view their life. The difference is the story they're telling themselves about their life. Do you know what I'm talking about here? We've all, we all have stories that we tell ourselves about our existence, either godly biblical uplifting stories or very negative depressing discouraged stories but we we have a narrative that we believe and getting to that narrative is the key if we want to change our perception if we want to change even our daily walk we need to change what we believe first Actually, sometimes, I don't know if you've seen this, but sometimes I can think, well, if this would just get better, if my life would just improve in this way, I'd feel so much better about everything. How many people have been in that position and then life did get better and you really didn't feel much better about everything? You ever been there? And you realize, hey, wait a minute, it's not actually the circumstance that's affecting my life. It's my view of the circumstance. It's my story about my life. Now, here's the good news. God actually has an upper story for all of our lives. You and I have an existence. We have a way we're living. We have a narrative we're we're living out. But God has a higher narrative. He has a bigger story that you're part of and I'm part of. If you and I can say God's story and realize his story and truth, we will be encouraged we will actually be able to move forward if we can sense his story. If we live in our own narrative and we limit it to just what we think and what we see, we'll probably be pretty miserable, to be honest. Because life is so uncertain, isn't it? It's so so unpredictable and it's so inconvenient. And if we're waiting for that better day, the better day will never come. But I want to encourage you with something today. You can have a better day starting today. You can, because we can do something about this. So my first message here in this series is not anxiety, but peace. And I want to look at Philippians 4, 6 to 8. What we're going to do is I'm going to unpack this scripture a bit. I want to look at uh, just some illustrations of it. And then at the end, I'm going to give you a very practical exercise. I won't say homework. Because some of you, if I say homework, which I just said, but if I say homework, you break out into a sweat right away because there's this negative impact from your history. Maybe God wants to do something in your life about that. I don't know. But some of you might have school trauma still. So I won't say homework. I just have a little exercise for you to do that's going to help you. Okay? Philippians 4, 6, 8 says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, let's look at this passage for a moment. So Paul is encouraging the Philippian believers here. He's saying, don't be anxious about anything. Don't, 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 be, don't let anxiety cripple you. Don't let that anxious feeling impact you about anything. You could say, well, you know, Paul, easy for you to say. Uh, probably not, actually, easy for him to say. <laughs> did, did you re- have you read Paul's life? Shipwrecks and imprisonments and beatings and stonings and all that. Uh, Paul had a little bit he could have been anxious about like there's there's a lot of bad stuff but he says don't be anxious about anything but but there's the but don't be anxious but in every situation by prayer and petition in other words pray bring your request to God with thanksgiving which is a joyful expectation and thankfulness to the Lord for what he's doing present your request to God and here's what the, the word of God tells us when we do that, when we bring our concerns to God. When we pray and when we thank him, begin to thank him for answering our prayers and that he's in control. It says the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. What does that mean? Transcends all understanding. Well, it means it's a peace that goes beyond my understanding of my current circumstance. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a situation where it was really difficult and it was bad? and and you, you were really uptight, but you went to God, and you gave over the burden to God, and you sensed his Holy Spirit come and fill you, and you had peace, okay? Even though the circumstance hadn't changed, right? You know what I'm saying? You ever had that? So you felt better, you felt peaceful, but you still had the same problem. Why would that be the case? Well, because God's peace came into your heart and it it actually superseded your understanding of the situation because God is bigger than the situation. So you suddenly had a realization of God's bigness and his power in your life. You sensed his strength within your spirit, and therefore you had peace beyond what your normal circumstance would be. Isn't that amazing? Like, let's think about that for a minute. That's incredible. That's what he's talking about here. The peace of God, which transcends your understanding and your current circumstance, look what it says, will guard your heart and your mind. Isn't that powerful? My heart, the seed of my emotions, it will guard, the peace of God will guard my heart so that I don't just give in to every emotion. It will guard my mind. Well, what happens in your mind? Well, that's where I think. That's where my thoughts can go wild and get me into all sorts of trouble. Well, the peace of God guards my mind so I don't freak out. I don't go into that bad zone. And then it says, but here's the key. Look at this for a moment. What's the key in verse eight? It says, and sometimes we forget this part when we preach this passage. I've even forgotten this part. I can preach on the first part. You know, you need to pray and you need to give it to God and peace will come. But here's what verse eight says. It says, here's what you need to do. Whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable You need to think about such things. See, here's where the real transfer happens. When you and I decide that we are no longer going to believe the lies that the enemy wants us to believe, that we're going to actually begin to think on the right things. This is where change comes in our heart. This is where that that peace can really happen in our lives. This also affects our self-talk. You know what our self-talk is, right? It's what you really say inside to yourself all the time. Scientists say that self-talk actually can be as quick as 1,300 words a minute in your brain. 1,300 words. Think about how much you're talking to yourself all the time. You say, I don't talk to myself. Well, you're telling yourself things about yourself all the time. What you believe about yourself, what you believe about your circumstances, what you believe about who you are, what you believe about who God is, these things play within your mind all the time. And you're talking to yourself inside. You're telling yourself things. You're believing things. And if we can change that narrative, see, that's the narrative. That's the story of our life. If we can change what we're telling ourselves, we can actually see improvement in our life. We can actually see our attitude shift. Are you getting me here? Does this make sense? Are we okay? It's quiet here this morning. I mean, it's quiet most days, actually, but it just feels quiet. Okay, we're okay. Maybe you're just thinking about it. Okay, I know you are. You're just processing, and I get that. So our self-talk, what we tell ourselves about our lives, and you know, here's what Jason Clawson said. I took this quote right out of what he had shared. Look at this. This is really good, Jason. We are defined by the stories we tell ourselves. And if we don't actively engage in telling ourselves good stories, i.e. the truth, we will be defined, listen to this, by either the loudest voice around us or the biggest obstacle in front of us instead of the bigger God above us. That's why I love this quote. So we don't. if we don't take command and say, I'm going to choose to believe what's right here, then the biggest voice around us is going to determine what we believe. The biggest problem in front of us will determine what we believe instead of letting the God above it all determine what we believe. Does that make sense? See, we can't be passive about this. We can't be passive, folks. And when we walk in passivity and just kind of let things happen and, and aren't intentional, we will, we will be up and down and all over because, A, there's an enemy that doesn't like us. And B, there is tough stuff in life. We're going to get hit with different circumstances. We have to be able to handle that. We have to be able to go deeper in what we believe. And so here's the first thing I want to say to you about this. It's important that we recognize the truth about where we're at. One of the things you don't, you and I don't want to do is just deny our feelings. See, sometimes I think as Christians, we've gotten into trouble because what we've done is we told people, hey, just ignore how you feel. That's not real. You know how you're feeling right now? That's not real. Just quote the word of God now. Like to just go in there and quote the word of God and believe because that's real. But what you're feeling right now, that's not real. Ignore that. Deny it. Well, faith isn't denial. Okay. And if you read my book, a little slight plug. If you read my book, though, first chapter, I talk about that, that faith isn't ignoring reality. It's actually facing reality. And so look at David. I've, I've quoted him before, but I want to quote him again. Psalm 42, verse 5 to 8. This is in the Bible, by the way. If you have a question about, is this proper? Should we actually be real about how we feel? It's in the Bible. God allowed David to write this, and then it's in the Bible. So I think it's biblical. Look what David does. He goes, why am I so depressed? Anybody ever written that in their journal? Maybe? Why am I so this is like David's journal? Why am I so depressed? Why this turmoil within me? Put now now look, so he's he's admitting it. I'm I'm depressed, I'm discouraged. But then he says, put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my savior and my God. I am deeply depressed. So he's owning it. But David doesn't stay in his depression. He says, therefore, I'm deeply deep, deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the, in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. Now, I love this passage. See, here's what David does here. He He's doing what Paul talked about in Philippians. You know, present your request to God with prayers and petitions, with thanksgiving. So what's David doing? He's coming to God and he's saying, God, I'm depressed. I, I, I am in turmoil in my heart. God, I'm being honest with you. And, and Lord, um, but, but Lord, I'm gonna remember you. And I'm gonna choose to praise you. You will send your faithful love. Your song will be with me in the night. In other words... He's encouraging himself. He's owning the fact that he's discouraged. But now he's shifting to the bigness of God. Do you see the point here? See, denying how we feel is inappropriate. Sometimes we need to get it out. You know, I, again, this material I've been reading, Dr. Carolyn Leaf. By the way, she's a, you got to hear how smart she is. She's a cognitive neuroscientist with a PhD in communication pathology. I don't even know what all that means, but it's powerful. And she specializes in metacognitive and cognitive neuropsychology. I especially don't know what that means. But all I'm saying is she's really smart, and she studied the Bible and science. And she, she says this. She calls this the freaking out in the love zone. Freaking out in the love zone. And, and what, she, what she would say about this, and I, I just listened to a video where she talked about it, is that we all need safe places at times where we can with that safe person who loves us, and especially with the God who loves us, who says, hey, come to me, pour out your heart to me, and I, I won't reject you for pouring out your heart. God didn't reject David and go, what a loser you are, David. Why are you depressed? Look at everything I've given you, David. Look at all the ways I've blessed you, David. What's your problem? Get up off your knees. Hey, God doesn't do that. God actually receives David and then Inve- and it comes into his life and gives him strength. And that's what God wants to do with you and I. So freaking out in the love zone. You know, there's times where we, we just need to get with God. And, and we need to go to the back 40. And we need to tell him, know how we feel. We're frustrated. Things are not well. And we need to say, God, I, I'm really struggling. And he's like, I'm okay. I can handle this. I'm big enough. Or that person, that, that person you love and trust. And you know they love you unconditionally. And you say, I got to talk to you. And I don't want to keep living like this. I want to keep believing this. This isn't, this isn't going to be an ongoing narrative. But I need to pour out my heart and get rid of this so that God's grace can come in and I can go to the root of this issue. I love that, freaking out in the love zone. Now, just don't freak out anywhere, only in the love zone. You understand what I'm saying? Some you say, oh, yeah, get to freak out. No, don't freak out. People don't want you freaking out all the time. Okay, but, but I love that picture because it starts with what is true, but it ends with the truth. You hear what I'm saying? It starts with where I'm at, what's true in my life right now, the reality I'm dealing with, the pain I'm dealing with, the difficulties I'm facing. But but if we do it right and we bring it to God, it ends with the truth. It ends with God coming in and saying, here's the truth in your circumstance. I know you hurt. I know you're struggling. I know you feel alone. I'm not putting that down. That's, this is the father. He says, I'm not putting that down. I understand why you can feel that way. But here's the higher reality. Here's the bigger story for you. I am with you. I love you. I have a plan for you. And I'm, I'm going to guide you forward. Okay, God, I can deal with this. Okay, God, I can keep moving. Okay, God, I see your story for my life. See, David starts with a hard truth. And then he ends with self-talk reminding himself of the truth. You know, these thoughts are basically what David's telling himself. David's in that tough moment, and he's saying, I'm depressed, I'm discouraged, but then he's saying, okay, yeah, but God, you will send your faithful love to me. You will be with me in the night. You haven't abandoned me, and he's telling himself the truth. Do you hear what I'm saying? His self-talk is truth on what God is doing. So God doesn't want us to deny our reality. He doesn't want us to ignore it. See, the problems you're facing right now, again, they're not the problem. The problem is what you're believing about the problem. (laughs) Does that make sense? (laughs) It's what you believe about what's happening in your life. That is the issue. And so we got to get to that root. What's really happening in my life? Now, let's look at Psalm 57 here. We'll jump forward. And this is David controlling his thoughts again. Look at this. They prepared a net for my steps. I was despondent. They dug a pit ahead of me, but they fell into it. Selah. My heart is confident. God, my heart is confident. I will sing. I will sing praises. Wake up, my soul. Wake up, harp and lyre. I will wake up the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Wow. Look what he's doing here. He says, they prepared a net for my steps. In other words, there's a trap for me. People have set a trap for me. I'm in trouble. You think about David's life. It, it wasn't easy, right? He, had, he was a king. We say, oh, he's a king in his nice fancy palace. Must have been really easy. No, he, he led a people. He had tough times, right? We look at some of those hard times. He, he found the pressure of it very dif- difficult. But here's, here's what he says. He says, they dug a pit for me. But they fell into it. And then he says, my heart is confident. I will sing. I will sing praises. This is, this is what it's telling us in Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition. In other words, asking God with thanksgiving. This is what David's doing. He's coming to God. He's presenting his concerns. He's presenting his needs. And then he's, then he's stirring himself up in thanksgiving and saying, yes, but you are the Lord and I'm going to sing praise and I'm going to wake up my soul. I'm not going to sit here in this stupor anymore. You ever been in a spiritual stupor? I know I have. You just kind of get dazed. It's like life is, you know, hitting you and, and, you know, it's like the times when God has spoken to me and told me, you know, Ian, you've gone really silent. And uh, I don't even realize at times that that's happening. What does that mean? It means I've gone inward. It means that everything's happening in my brain, but there's no worship coming out. I don't sing anymore. I'm so serious about my life and about issues that I'm all contemplative. I'm all inward, and, and I'm not thanking God. I'm not worshiping. And, you know, I, we've got this new, these new offices that God has blessed us with. I got to say one of the side benefits is I get to go there on my own a lot, and I get to sing and I love it, honestly. It's so good, you know? And it's kind of separate from everybody, so I don't have to worry that people are going to hear me and think I'm weird. So it's really good. Actually, I'm really blessed by it. But, but the thing is, worship is warfare. Let me just say something to all of you. I don't care if you can sing or not. God doesn't care, actually. I think he's got, like, filters on his ears. I think he's just like, wow, you sound like you know, Mariah Carey, you know, like, you're like, well, I'm not even close to that, right, but, but, but it's just like, your, your voice, but I, I don't know, I think God, because he listens to us, I mean, he does like joyful noise, right, it seems to say, make a joyful noise, my point is, listen, even if you're not a great worshiper, and you think, you know, I, I can't carry a tune, God likes your worship, lift your voice, if you think about it, if you can sing, why can you sing, why were you made to sing, Obviously to bless people, sure, but ultimately to worship God. And something I've told myself is the audience of one. Father, you gave me a voice to worship you. Wasn't wasn't really for other people, it was so that I could worship you. And so I'm going to do that. I'm going to, on my own, without anyone else around, I'm going to worship you. So let me just say this, whether you can sing well or not, lift your voice. And some of the best thing you can do is war, because the enemy doesn't want you to sing. He wants you to be grumpy. And, and downward and inward and quiet. And, and this isn't talking about whether you're a, a noisy person or a quiet person. I'm not even saying that. But there are some things that are universal. And when you lift your voice and you start to sing and worship and declare the Psalms and declare the truth, man, I'll tell you, the devil doesn't like that. He starts to flee. And so David's saying, wake up, my soul. Come on. You're lying down. You're just taking this. You've gotten passive. Come on, wake up, my soul. Wake up, my musical instrument. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship. I'm going to sing praises. And when he does that, God does something in his midst. Here's the thing. We can't be the victim of the loudest voices around us. I mentioned this earlier. And see, often the loudest voice around us is the one right up here inside our brain. Do you know what I'm saying? That's the loudest voice it's the voice that says, you'll never make it. You can never be good enough. God isn't for you. He will let you down again. He's let you down the past. He's going to let you down now. You can't be confident. You can't expect things to get better because they won't. This is the voice that often determines how we live. And I'm challenging it today. And I'm challenging you to take captive and like David to rise up. Like David to say, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you. I will worship you. I'm going to go to the higher story, God. I want to hear what you have to say. Now, so what are some next steps? We're going to finish with this. Second Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. Really important to understand this. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, I like what Francis Fangepane, he's, he's an author, Read him many years ago. And he defined a stronghold as a house made of thoughts. A house made of thoughts. Now think about that for a minute. And so a stronghold in our mind is a house we have built because of our thinking. It, it, it holds uh, certain beliefs based on experiences, based on our history. And those strongholds, let me just say this. A stronghold is also where the enemy can dwell, right? It's a castle for him. So sometimes what happens is, you know, we might have a spirit of fear that works in us. I really battle with fear. I really struggle with fear. There's a stronghold for that fear in your life. And it's most likely the thoughts you already believe. So the enemy's working in your life. He's got influence, but he's got influence because there's a stronghold. There's a place he can inhabit. So you know the way to get rid of him is tear down the stronghold of thoughts. That's where you start. And that's where the enemy gets evicted is when we begin to deal with our thought life. And so it, it, it has divine power to dev- demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now you want to talk intentionality. Think about taking captive every thought you think. <laughs> that could be sobering. Wow, there's a lot of work to be done, right? I gotta take captive these thoughts. What it's saying is don't allow your thoughts to run rampant. Don't allow thoughts that are contrary to the biblical truth that God has given you, that are contrary to God's love and care for you, to just run in your mind. Don't allow them. You need to take them captive. And that means actually assessing where do they come from? Why do I think? What do I think, first of all? What's running in my mind I would encourage you, and that's part of the assignment, not homework. Part of the assignment I'm going to give you is to consider what your self-talk is. To stop long enough to think, what do I really think and believe and and say to myself every day? What is it? God, what is it? Begin to write it down. Begin to grab a hold of it. That's taking captive that thought or that self-talk. And then we take captive every thought to make it obedient to christ so i want my thinking to obey the truth through jesus that's what i want now i'm ways from that i have lots of work to do but i need to be proactive just like you are i can't allow dominant thoughts in my life that are not godly they will just pull me down emotionally they will take away my confidence you know if you think of depression and discouragement what is at the root of them of those feelings, it's thoughts, right? If I'm depressed and discouraged, ultimately it's because I'm believing something, right? I'm discouraged today. Why are you discouraged today? Well, it's because I'm believing something. Now, it could be that life's really tough and there's a lot of hard things happening. And again, we don't want to diminish that. But what am I believing about that? God, is there a higher truth here that I need to tap into about my life that will help me so I don't become discouraged, so I actually can rise up and be encouraged? That's what I'm talking about. So I want to encourage you to do a seven-day experiment to take captive your thoughts, to capture your self-talk. If we can hand out those sheets, those people who are Im- embedded in the crowd with the sheets I'm going to hand out, we, we have like secret agents. We have some sheets for you, and I'm, I'm going to go through them in a minute here. But I want you to do a seven-day experiment to take captive your thoughts to capture your self-talk. We'll talk about that in a minute. You know, there, there's a book that I'm reading. It's called Switch on Your Brain by Dr. Carolyn Leaf. And in it, she actually has a 21-day detox plan that she outlines for people to detox their thoughts. Have you ever thought that your thoughts could be, de- they could be toxic? Your thinking could be negative and toxic and actually limiting your performance? Absolutely, right? So she has a 21-day process that, that, that she takes people through to help them deal with the prevailing thoughts in their life and to actually be cleansed of bad thinking. Um, I'm, I'm going to do it myself. Uh, I'm excited about it. But I, I, well, let's start with seven days. Dr. Leaf says, the minute you're aware of something, a thought, it becomes weaker. So the first step to making our thinking, our bad thinking weaker is becoming aware of it. Actually acknowledging, oh, I believe this. This is negative. This is wrong and ungodly. Okay. That's the first step to making it we- weaker. This is interesting. And I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to get into this very deeply. But do you realize that when they do brain scans and stuff scientifically, that memories in the brain, are, are they look like trees? Yeah, yeah, Naomi's obviously read this book. She knows. Oh, you you've, listen to Carolyn Leaf. So they look like trees, and and the fruit on the trees actually changes as your thought changes. It's, it's amazing science. Science is backing up what the word is saying, and I won't get into it too much. But the reality is for us to see our thought life change, we actually have to go to the root of why we think that way. Why we think that way. And so what I want to look at here, uh, I'll just i show you this sheet. So if you've got one of these now, which I think you all do, thank you to, to, to um, Kim and Audrey for handing them out. Um, you're going to see on the front page, it says countering negative thinking, okay? So, so I want to just walk through this with you. So on the left side, it says behavior, thought, and belief, all right? So that behavior, thought, and belief, that's, that's either the way you're acting, that's a thought you're thinking, something you believe, okay? That's where it starts. Second column says, where did it come from? In my life, when I've realized that I believe something, I'll give you an example, okay? So I used to believe, and I believe God has healed me from this. I still have to walk in that. Sometimes I can go back to it. But I used to believe that unless my performance was perfect, it didn't matter. I believe that. Now, you imagine the pressure that put on me to perform, right? I have to be perfect. If what I do isn't perfect, it's not acceptable, okay? I used to believe that. Why did I believe it? Well, one of the reasons I believed it was when I was a kid. One reason, I think there's multiple reinforcements, but one reason was that when I was a kid and I was in grade one, uh, I was a great printer. Now, if you looked at my printing today, you would realize that I have backslidden a long way from grade one. But in grade one, I was fastidious. I was perfectionistic, and I would write very carefully, and so much so that that I was of the top three printers in my class. I know, and in grade one, that's a big deal. So they put, they had parent-teacher night, and they put my printing up on the wall. Wow, the wall of fame, grade one. My printing's there. Now, my parents were going to class. They were going to parent-teacher night, so i was anticipating the glory that would result from my parents seeing my printing, right? Seriously, big deal to me. So, I remember my parents left, they went there, and I thought to myself, they're going to be in my classroom. They're going to see my printing. It's going to be amazing when they get back. So, my my parents pulled up, they came in, and I remember I ran to my dad or went to him quickly, whatever. He was taking his coat off, and I said, "Dad, dad, did you see my printing? Did did you see it? It was on the wall. Did you see my printing, dad?" Now, what am I looking for? I'm looking for affirmation. I'm looking for my dad to say, yes, and you're amazing, right? That's what I'm looking for. And instead, God bless my dad. He was human. He made a mistake. I don't think he had affirmation always in his own life at times. My dad, being kind of perfectionistic himself, says, yeah, but it was a bit crooked. (sighs) Right? My little seven-year-old heart just right? Oh, okay. Wasn't good enough. Dang. I was hoping that you, you could affirm me. I was hoping that you'd tell me I did a good job, but it, but it was a bit crooked. Even though it was on the wall, it wasn't good enough. So what did I take from that moment? I took that it had to be perfect, or else I wouldn't get affirmed, number one. And I took that I probably could never do it perfect enough. Because, I mean, I had worked really hard to do that, Right? Do you see the two things that were implanted in me? So when I dealt with that lie, I had to go back and deal with that memory. I had to forgive my dad, understand that he's flawed, that he didn't mean to hurt me, but I had to forgive him. And I had to break agreement with what was said that day, with what happened, that, that, Lord, I forgive my dad. And Lord, I thank you that I don't have to be perfect. I thank you that, that um, you accept me the way I am and that, that God, even though I'm not perfect, you love me and you accept me, you affirm me so I don't have to strive to try to be perfect. And that's helped me a lot over the years. But you understand. So where did it come from? And I, I would encourage you to ask that question. Where, why do I believe that? Where did it come from? It might be a parent. It might be a situation at school. It might be something at work. Who knows? But you need to find out what it is. Ask God, where did it come from? God knows where it came from. He'll tell you. And then what is God's truth is number three. What is God's truth? So, Lord, what do you say about that? And then lastly, get a backup scripture. Now, this is really important. One of the key shift points for Val and me was when in 2001, we went to a, a ministry time and they encouraged us To write out all the misbeliefs or or wrong beliefs that we had. And once we started listening to God, like I had pages of them. Pages of things I believe that were not true. Unbelievable. So I did, we did this with every one of these. We found, uh, you know, what the truth was. We wrote down the truth. We wrote down the scripture. And then for like. Two months we went over it and over it and over it. You know what they say if you if you read Dr. Leaf's material? 21 days it takes to get a new thought in process, you, you need to process it. It takes 63 days before it becomes automatic. In other words, if you will you, you gotta hear me on this, it's called intentionality. If you and I will take captive our thoughts and over a period of like two months, we will work on and replace that negative thinking and agree with God, we can actually see our internal beliefs change and become more automatic. Wouldn't that be nice if you didn't have to think through this all the time? If when bad thing happened, you actually responded automatically? Wouldn't that be amazing? The good news is it's possible if you and I are intentional about it. So that's, what I, that's the homework. So let, let me give you an example here. Look at that sheet, and I want to give you an example, okay? So... If you look at the next page, it says thoughts that cause problems, right? I wanted to help you. This was in our material that we received a couple weeks ago. Sometimes it's like, I don't know how to write these thoughts down. How does that work? Well, here's 50 of them. You probably can look at these 50 and realize some of them are your own. So I want to take number six. Number six is, I should be terribly worried about threatening situations. Okay? That's a belief. I should be terribly worried about threatening situations. All right. So if I take that, I would write that down and say, okay, that's something I believed. Where did it come from? Well, if I ask God, it might be a situation in my life where I was terribly threatened and I felt incredibly anxious and I believed that that was normal and I needed to always feel that way. So I need to ask God, "Um, what is God's truth? Well, God's truth is that I don't need to be anxious, that I don't need to give in to anxiety. I think I actually have it up here. So where did it come from? Let's go back to that. Sorry, I forgot this all. When I was a kid, I felt threatened and unprotected at times. I thought being anxious was the natural way to cope. That might be it, okay? Let's look at the next one. What is God's truth? I don't need to be anxious because when I pray and ask God to help me, his peace will guard my heart and mind. He promises to protect, keep me safe, and work in my circumstances. Okay, that's the truth. And lastly, what's the scripture? It's the one we just went through, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do you see how that works? There's the lie. There's why I think it happened. And now here's the truth. That's what I'm encouraging you to do. Write it down. Write it down. And remember, this passage is the foundation, Philippians 4, and then we're done. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What you want to do is replace your bad thinking, ultimately, with this type of thinking that will heal your your brain, (laughs) heal your mind, and give you peace, and help you to walk in God's ways. Here's some resources for you, and then we'll pray. Here they are. I think it's right there. I want to encourage you to listen to this on YouTube, Detoxing Your Mind, an interview with Dr. Carolyn Leaf. Amazing interview, okay? And then Switch On Your Brain by Dr. Carolyn Leaf. I recommend. It's a great book, all right? Can you stand with me, please? We're going to pray. Thank you for joining us today for the Church of Rock Calgary podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions, please email info at cotrcalgary.ca.